this refugee crisis is happening, whether I'm on the ground helping or not, it's happening. And so being swept up in negativity and feelings of hopelessness, which don't get me wrong, do pass through sometimes that it's not like it's always happy days and positivity but I believe in our work so much and I feel so strongly that positive impact that we're having that I just get energy from that and just think well the fact that we're here and helping that's good. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host Jazz O'Hara and together with some very special guests We'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. My guest this week is the most requested guest that I've ever had on this podcast ever, Holly Penalva, founder of Indigo Volunteers. Holly is an absolute ray of sunshine and known in this sector, not just for her amazing work coordinating thousands of volunteers, but for always doing so with a smile on her face. So I think you guys probably knew that she would bring some joy and good vibes to the podcast. Indigo Volunteers is where I direct anyone wanting to volunteer within the refugee space. They directly connect volunteers with one of the 48 grassroots humanitarian projects and organisations that they partner with. They do so ethically, they do so for free, unlike lots of other money-making organisations that profit from placing volunteers, and they also carefully place people based on their skills and their preferences. On a personal level, Holly and I have always connected over our similar journeys working in this sector from plunging headfirst into the grassroots response to the European refugee crisis for me back in 2015, uh, for Holly in 2016, and being on a steep learning curve ever since. A recent headline about Holly in the Metro read, I quit my job and ended my marriage to volunteer in Greece with refugees. I helped thousands, met a new love and had a baby. And, you know, the Metro love a dramatic headline, but we actually talk about this journey that she's been on today in this episode from leaving everything behind in England to eight weeks ago, giving birth in Holland to baby Matteo with her Dutch partner Stein, who she met whilst volunteering in Thessaloniki. We jump straight in to talking about Holly's maternity leave and how she has found taking some time away from her first baby, Indigo Volunteers. How are you doing, girl? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank God I've got mum here babysitting Mateo. Did you find it hard leaving essentially your first baby, I guess, right? <laughs> or has that been actually quite a kind of natural process? 
You know what? Everyone thinks there's never a right time. Like that's a, that's a really common phrase everyone says. But I think when you do work like what we're doing, it's so immersive. It's absolutely not a nine to five, right? So it is a 24-7 kind of thing that takes over your whole life. And so it makes it even more uh, applicable to say there's never a right time because you're always thinking, number one, your time is dedicated to more people. And I always struggled with thinking, if I take you know six months off, I'm going to be focusing on one person as opposed to you know hundreds of people. That do you know what I mean? That where you're focusing your energy on one person, and I, and I struggle with that concept. No, it's happened. It's an absolute pleasure and such a wonderful experience. But I think it's really hard when you're in this kind of work as well, isn't it? Definitely, it's like you live and breathe it. So yeah, it's hard to see beyond that. Yeah, just and and letting go for me personally. I honestly preached everyone you need to take holiday da 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 and I did not do it myself just that typical terrible behavior it's so great for me to have had this time to reflect now as I say I've been forced into it it's not been hard to let go because I completely trust the team and it's been really healthy for everyone involved that I've stepped back for a short while <laughs> let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you did before indigo I was actually um, a pediatric nurse that was whoa the things you learn and being in a London hospital and it's just but I love it I absolutely love nursing so I did children's nursing and I was doing that for a while and I'd already had the idea of indigo at this point and then in your final year you could do an elective placement where you do a month abroad. So where did you go on your um, elective? I went to Malawi into a really small fishing village that you could only access by boat and the clinic actually when we got there it wasn't even open because they had no health professionals there so there's a charity that works there and when I emailed them saying hi uh, we're final year nursing students can we come and help the head of the charity said yes you'll be the only health professionals there so we went and it was a really great experience to learn so much do you think that going to Malawi was a step towards indigo, that kind of feed in? Yeah, for sure. Because when I was out there, we tagged on the end of the trip, um, a week of traveling and exploring. And I met so many charities that needed help, including the clinic that we were at, because as, as I said, we were the most senior health professionals there. So it really reinforced the idea. And what is the idea? What is the concept behind indigo? So uh, Indigo started because when I finished my degree, I wanted to volunteer. Like a lot of people, you want to take a year off and maybe travel or, or volunteer. So I started researching it. And the only way to do it was to go through a fee paying company. And the only ones I could find were just charging extortionate amounts of money, like thousands of pounds. And I thought this is absolutely crazy that these companies are making so much money off of people's goodwill. And a lot of the time didn't seem very ethical, if not all the, all the time. I was like really questioning what people were actually doing. And I thought this, this really doesn't make sense. I know that people can, can help each other and you don't need to go through paying so much money in order to do it. And of course, I was seeing things like, oh, you can teach in a classroom, even if you're 18 and you've never been a teacher before. And I thought, oof, this just doesn't feel right. So that's where the concept came from. I thought, 
surely there's got to just be a more responsible platform where you you find out the needs from the communities and you do some matchmaking and you either don't charge or you charge a very small amount or something. That's how the concept of Indigo happened. And so I actually, in my year after, all, all I could do was travel because I couldn't afford to volunteer. And I just found that really sad. And I started speaking to people about it. And so many people had the same experience as me. So I just went from there and discovering more people that wanted to volunteer and then researching charities like grassroots charities that needed those volunteers. And I relate to this story so much because I'll be honest and say that when I was 18 and I just finished school, I had the the same feeling that I'd always wanted to go abroad and do something useful. And actually, you know, if I'm real about it, I was 18. I just finished school. I didn't have that much that was useful to offer, but there were still these placements that I could pay for where exactly as you say, I could be a teacher or go and do things that I actually wasn't qualified to do or mm. wouldn't be helpful. You know, digging mm. a well, you hear horrible stories about people going to dig a well and then the wells filled in for the next group yeah. to come and dig it up again as a moneymaker. Also, playing into this narrative that like you know in the UK or in the West we automatically have something to offer which you know is not necessarily the case I remember hearing the story of a boy who went to teach football to kids in a favela in Rio in Brazil and they literally ran rings around him because they were way better at football than he was so things like that you know it's this kind of idea that we automatically have something to give when actually we need to think a little bit more about what it truly is that we can offer and learn from each other as a relationship and I think that's what Indigo does so well and is like at the core of what you do. Thank you. It really is a fine balance because you've got to be open to making mistakes and learning and growing. And and there is a fine line. I mean, for example, having that experience does help open your eyes. And who knows what your journey would have been if you hadn't have done that experience. Although obviously it's not responsible or ethical, I see the value in contributing in some way, even if you're younger. And how we try and overcome that is things like working in a warehouse a distribution center for refugees so Mm -hmm. uh, you might be 18 or 19 but you can still do that type of work and help and then still have that connection and that experience because you're right there is a value in there being a stepping stone for people to enter a world they don't know anything about and have the opportunity to travel and still feel like they're supported by a network rather than kind of finding those places yourself like you can go and find those placements yourself potentially and not like pay the middleman like real gap or whoever it is but Mm. when you are 18 or 19 you have your parents maybe potentially wanting to know that you're supported how much does indigo provide a framework that like if uh, the volunteer you know needs support or something happens is indigo still there or do you allow people to kind of manage their volunteer placement themselves once they're on the placement we try and act as a backup body so when we connect a volunteer with the charity on the ground one of our partners that is it so they're connected and one of our partners will be responsible for them so if they have any issues problems challenges then it will be that charity that is mm-hmm. looking after them taking care of them only if there's some fail in that system then they would come back to us and luckily that doesn't happen too often when it does we take on that feedback and we'll always try and learn and make improvements but yeah so far nothing too disastrous has, has happened it's just more of a feedback type service 
Got you. So you guys have this network of amazing grassroots groups that you support by providing them volunteers that are handpicked to actually meet their needs, right, of yeah. that grassroots organisation. And m- many of those grassroots organisations are working within the refugee crisis, right? Yeah. And yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. Was that kind of intentional? Was this a, an issue that was like particularly close to your heart? How did yeah. that happen? Great question. So we started working and growing in East Africa and partnering with charities there. And then we went around other places in the world like Indonesia and India and so on. But when when the refugee, the European refugee crisis kind of hit the news, we actually went out originally to volunteer ourselves. So I had my Indigo hat on, but I was also a volunteer with charities that were not our partners. I was just going out to, to help them out. And then realized, oh gosh, like this is really chaotic and volunteers are not being coordinated because there's literally no one, no main body to coordinate them. And I thought, gosh, Indigo could really be helpful and useful here. So that's how it started, just from doing back and forth trips in 2016 to Greece. And then I decided at the end of 2016 to move to Greece and we were doing coordination for Northern Greece and it was actually help refugees who are now choose love uh, that were doing some coordination as well and, and asked me to come and help support so it just grew very naturally like that and then because we're such a small team and we were stretching ourselves so thin trying to partner with all our previous charities around the world and grow our network across Greece and the European refugee route that we stop partnering with the other charities because I was actually on the ground in Greece and it just made so much more sense and we were becoming more specialized in our knowledge there so yeah that's actually all of our partners now are refugee focused I see and it does make sense that that is your area of expertise and there is so much work to be done within that space that you know you guys could be a giant team and still be stretched right and also so many amazing grassroots groups working on the ground that especially back in like 2015, where it was chaos and there needed some coordination, some communication between some of those grassroots groups. And yeah, you guys and Help Refugees Now Choose Love did such an incredible job of that. And I'm forever in awe of what you actually did take on because it's a huge responsibility. And I'm really interested in like how that actually felt for you moving to Greece and growing this group indigo of people who were really facilitating huge amounts of of support did you kind of take that responsibility on board and how did you stay so positive and lighthearted throughout it which you always have you know ever, ever since I've known you all these years every time I talk to you you've always got a smile on your face and always laughing and always positive and that's that's the feat in itself Oh, thank you. I think, first of all, it's it's just my disposition, partly. I've always been this way, I suppose. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that it's then easy to transfer that in other contexts. And I think my nursing actually really helped with this. People say to me, oh, you're a children's nurse. I could never do that. That's such a common response. And I just always think, if you had to, you would do it. You would just do it. And whether, whether you are there or not... This event has happened. A child has had a a bad accident or is sick and maybe it's just for a day. Maybe it's an illness that's going to last years. And whether you are there to support or not, it's it's happening. And so I 
really got comfort from thinking, well, I'm just here to help and support in this situation and do the best I can. And so I see that quite positively than going in thinking, oh, this is, this is doom and gloom. And before that, I worked in the hospice and I had the same attitude there. And I, and I think I just applied it to this role as well, where this refugee crisis is happening, whether I'm on the ground helping or not, it's happening. And so being swept up in negativity and feelings of hopelessness, which don't get me wrong, do pass through sometimes that it's not like it's always happy days and or and positivity but I believe in our work so much and I feel so strongly that positive impact that we're having that I just get energy from that and just think well the fact that we're here and helping that's good yeah you're right that fundamentally it is amazing and focusing on that is really really important in the years of growing Indigo, and you guys started in 2014? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think we were registered. In, yeah, I think we registered as a charity in 2014, and maybe about a year before that we were starting. There's, there's no day that it kind of Indigo started now because yeah. the placement started slowly but surely. So around 2013, something like that. So we're talking like seven, eight years of doing yeah. this work. I'm also interested in the kind of challenges that like came up for you in this time. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that we've talked about this before, because again, we've been on a bit of a similar journey in terms of like ups and downs and like the roller coaster of emotions and things that kind of come up. Is there anything that you think you would want to share about the challenges that you faced in this time? Definitely. There's so many, like it's almost an endless list because <laughs> right I'll overcome this one and then you hit with another one either before you've even finished that one it's 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 almost non-stop but that is um that's the game isn't it like mm-hmm. that is that's any role anywhere you're always faced with challenges I would say right now a big one would be the political situation working essentially in a context where there's such a division of views I mean, I remember February last year in 2020 being in Lesbos when it was a very difficult weekend where locals started to attack volunteers and their cars and there were riots and roadblocks and no police stopping them. And and it, it was a really scary weekend, actually. And because of COVID, things seemed to calm down for a little while. That's just really hard. I mean, imagine going to work and not knowing whether some a local person is going to attack you or not. People were having rocks thrown at their houses and followed. And the place that we were staying in was identified. And we had people waiting outside with their sunglasses on and we had to move location. And that's not an easy job to have and to go to. But then at the same time, on the polar side of that, you have so much support. And people feel so strongly and passionate about this as well. So you have support, you know, emotionally or financially. People do the most wonderful things that, you know, your jaw drops, that the, the dedication that people have and the things people do and the actions people take. So it's like the best and the worst, and you're living them both simultaneously all the time. I would definitely say that's a challenge. And for our partners to be operating in a context where things are often deliberately made really difficult for them to operate, you know, actively being tried to be shut down or 
um, have fines, things made difficult. Mm-hmm. I definitely say that's one of the, the biggest challenges. Growth, I mean, geographical growth, There's, we have like a waiting list of, of partners that we're desperate to help, but we just don't have enough resources. And we just want to, to reach more people in Italy and, and Spain and, and further afield. And we just don't at the moment have the resources for that. And of course, COVID, Brexit. I mean, our role is to help people volunteer. And they're normally from a different country. Of course, we help Greeks as well. But it might be someone from yeah Germany or the UK or France or Spain, and we place them with a partner in Greece or Serbia, Bosnia or France. With COVID happening, we were really struggling to place people. Um, but actually, kind of one of the things that's happened that instead of people going for shorter times, they are going for much longer times because they have to quarantine and give such a commitment. People are just volunteering for longer, which is also good as well, because then you've got less turnover and so on. And Brexit, of course, has made things difficult for British people to volunteer Mm -hmm. with the 90 days, every 180 day rule. So they are some of the challenges, definitely. And personally, yeah, life has been a a roller coaster. So uh, (laughs) also the personal side of things. And my mum, bless her, because I've gone on maternity leave, she said to me, she feels like she's got me back. She felt like she'd lost me. And it was something we just never openly spoke about. Everyone knew that when I came home, I would lock myself in my room. I would work stupid hours. I'd come down for dinner. Sometimes I didn't even come down for dinner. She'd leave on a tray outside my door. <laughs> I would see people a little bit and then I'd go back to Greece or Bosnia or wherever. And now I'm on maternity leave and I, I'm not working. I am being more myself and reintegrating back into my family essentially so yeah there's these personal challenges as well and they are very real and I am so happy to be feeling back to normal and reconnecting and being pre pre Greece before I moved to Greece which was uh, four and a half years ago now that's so beautiful to hear and I'm so happy to hear it and I, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about like the impact of this work and not just working within the refugee crisis but also being a founder of an organization and the impact that that has on mental health and the work-life balance and you know what that's looked like for you I mean you touched on it then but I do think it's really important to talk about because I recognize that like there's no boundary is there there's no time of the day that you know this stops or this starts I remember in Lesbos stories of some of the bigger NGOs that actually do have these kind of like safeguarding measures in place kind of clocking off at 5 p.m when Mm. boats were still coming in and you know they Mm. were working in search and rescue and they'd finish their shift but if a boat was still coming in you know lots of the grassroots organizations were then still working 24 7 round the clock not having those shifts not having those boundaries so it's so hard isn't it because I think there's a balance in there yeah of course clocking off at 5 p.m when there's a boat coming in that it does seem cruel and and it seems especially at the beginning I think everyone uh who wasn't uh, clocking off at 5 p.m thought how on earth could people do that now time's gone on people I think are realizing it's not sustainable mm-hmm. for years and years to be working so many hours a week and the burnout is rife as you know mm-hmm. in this sector I think being a founder is also really difficult because who who's there to tell you to take a break? 
It's every day. I mean, I, I would really need to hear it every day before mm-hmm. I eventually went, oh, fine, okay. That, that role isn't, isn't, isn't there for a lot of people and, and you are responsible for your time management. And so that is why burnout is so high. And you feel so responsible as well. Like you've got a, a team of people you know, working all for the same cause, with the same passion and dedication. And the work you're doing is so important. So then you think if I take a holiday, it's not like, oh, I'm doing this job that I don't really care about. And if this email isn't sent, it's fine. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't send this email and get this partnership, then this partner is going to be really affected. And you have these thoughts and it's really hard to let that go. Luckily, one of the things we do as well as the main thing we do is volunteer coordination, but we also do a couple of other activities. One is around training. So we arrange trainers to come out and try and build capacity within teams and and help people develop skills because lots of people they're not just like me and you where you just have this passion this idea and you go for it but it doesn't mean you've got CEO experience or or human resource experience or legal experience so we're trying to arrange training to help develop these skills in in people the other thing we do is PSS so psychosocial support it's about connecting volunteers with therapists uh, it's pro bono we have an amazing network of therapists that are are dedicating their time for free to help the volunteers, which is so amazing. Because if you think about it, a lot of people focus on the refugees, which is absolutely needed and it's great. But also the people who are providing services to those refugees need support. And, and mental health is really not looked after as it should be in this sector. It's such a huge problem. And so we're trying to help that by connecting people with therapists if they need it and I utilized that last year and um, I had some uh, therapy some coaching and that was really really needed and wonderful and really helped Uh, yeah I guess there's this like group of people within the refugee space that can connect on this level of like we were kind of thrown into something that we didn't necessarily have experience of or understanding of and looking back you know I mean I can speak for myself that I was very naive and definitely made decisions that now hopefully I know better Um, but that takes time and it's a learning and you know our lives were that's another thing that I'd love to talk to you about because I often think car like how different life could have been based on like a few different decisions you know you moved to Greece and if not really knowing what to expect and met you're now a father of your baby and do you (laughs) ever think about like how crazy that is that you know (laughs) your life could have been so different if you were continuing to like work in a hospital in London for example yeah Yeah. crosses my mind on a daily basis you know what I just got really itchy feet and I remember walking around the town I was living in before and I never spoke to anyone about it I never told anyone because it was almost a thought that I threw out of my head because I didn't I was in denial of it I would I was walking around for months and months and months before I moved to Greece thinking this is it this is my life and if I have a baby it will go to this nursery and I will come back to this front door every day and I was going crazy but I kept thinking, why on earth are you not grateful for this? This is amazing. It's a beautiful house and what a great nursery. Or I just remember thinking that if something isn't right, I don't feel right. My stomach was turning and it was like exploding. Like it was just, I just needed to do something. I don't know how else to describe it than, than that. And I, even nursing, I was like, 
I know I can do more than this. I know I'm coming in and I'm looking after these patients and I love it. And I love helping these families and these children, but there's something not right. I need to do more. And that's when where Indigo came in and, and going to Greece. My body made my decision for me. And it sounds weird, but that is what happened. It wasn't something I sat down and wrote a pros and cons list and thought, oh, I'll go to Greece. I, I had no choice. My body threw me into Greece almost. Your gut. That's how it felt. <laughs> yeah, my gut, exactly. And then and my partner, Stein, we've met doing the, the same work uh, in, in Greece, in Thessaloniki, was also really beautiful because he's done his own journey to get there. I've done my own journey to get there. And that was just a really beautiful way to meet someone, I think. Yeah. And <laughs> I had no idea, you know, what that would lead to and us having a child. <laughs> I still can't get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Is it still so, weird so. to say? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. I feel like I've, I found out I was pregnant and I blinked and now I'm here with an eight week old. It's the weirdest thing, especially because of COVID and you're in the routine and you can't do anything to distinguish time very easily and I still can't believe I'm a mother and I have a son like I I can't believe he's my baby and some I'm breastfeeding him and I'm like he's my son I'm breastfeeding him it is very true but I think a lot of new mothers have a similar feeling as well yeah it's like suddenly you're in this role that what the hell my whole life is different yeah um, but yeah. it is such a beautiful story that, that you share this passion and this understanding. I think it's really important because anybody outside of working in this sector could get mm. very uh, exasperated. At, for example, mm. the amount that you were working or I, I recognize that too, but at least you guys could share that, you know? Yes, we understand it. And I do not know how we maintain the relationship. I mean, obviously it was not been e- an easy road because when you're both working crazy hours and sometimes having to move locations and I really don't know how we survived it, but we did. We're here to tell the tale, um, but it is really, really hard. But as, as you say, like, because you can relate to each other and you can understand, uh, he, he'll know why, if I'm working till midnight one night, why I'm doing it or how my brain thinks it's necessary. And because he's done the same before. Holly, do you feel like becoming a mum has made you think back to all of those mothers and babies and children that you met in the camps in Greece? And do you think it's increased your empathy, for example, about how that is for them having babies in refugee camps, all the things that can go wrong? Yeah. Has it changed your perspective on that at all? I was a bit sensitive towards it because of being a children's nurse anyway mm-hmm. and having that experience. I was always a little bit more aware of of the journey of a parent. But certainly since becoming a mother myself, of course, you're reflecting like, oh my gosh, imagine, I, I've, I have thought many times, imagine if tonight I had to go back to a tent, then a bedroom with a comfy bed. It makes you, I, I mean, I already thought this, but it just even more so makes you think how strong how unbelievably strong these families are to just so stoically get through this it it appears this way anyway I'm sure people struggle especially behind closed doors more than they they led on that's the same with everyone but there is just such a little complaining and just carrying on with it yeah definitely makes you realize how difficult it must be to raise a child with such little resource and also um, a lack of family around because a lot of people have had to leave their families a lot of people a lot of young women are having babies without their mothers around honestly I don't know what I would have done without my family and particularly my mum being around how do you learn how do you know what to do yeah of course there's instincts and there's a bit of people around you in the camp might help but it's not the same as your own family 
I also want to talk a little bit about for people listening, how can they get involved with Indigo? If people are listening to you and they're like, Mm -hmm. wow, it sounds amazing, which it is to everybody listening. um, What can they do to get involved at the moment in this difficult time? We are still absolutely placing people and volunteers are still needed. So we we work with uh, numerous partners that are doing anything from health to education, workshops, language classes, distribution of clothing, food, all sorts. And these services need to continue. So we're still placing people, although, of course, there's more barriers with COVID and Brexit, but we're still doing it. So go onto our website, which is indigovolunteers.org, and look at the opportunities on there and just send an application. Or you can email the team or go on our social media we're on Instagram and on Facebook and just keep updated on 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 what we're doing on on and what our partners are doing yeah there's there's lots of information online basically and also we we have information to support people what you need to know before you go and when you're on placement and when you come back amazing so for the people who are listening to this and want to get involved in supporting refugees but really not knowing where to start actually looking at the website is a good place to start cuz there's some information for those people Definitely. Just volunteering is just a great thing to do, especially if you're not sure if you want to go into this as a career or you don't have the right experience yet to start a job uh, with a bigger international NGO, for example. Um, Volunteering gives you that experience. It lets you know if this is the right thing for you, because some people might think, oh, this is totally for me. And after two weeks, they're like, oh, get me out of here. Well, maybe not that extreme, but I'm happy to do this two months and not do this as a career. Let's put it that way. Because if you do it as a career, it is such a commitment. Yeah, it's not something to take lightheartedly, do a career in this sector. Yeah, so volunteering is just a great way to make connections. And lots of people do go on to work for international NGOs. Definitely volunteering is a good uh, foot footstep no foot in the right direction yeah, a stepping stone a stepping stone oh god I've been around so many people speaking Dutch my English is really <laughs> really bad now but not that I'm speaking any Dutch but I've forgotten amazing like, language so <laughs> <laughs> what's Indigo's minimum placement mm-hmm. like length of time it really depends on our partners and their needs so we don't dictate to people, although we do guide. So for example, we have had a medical partner in Paris say, oh, we'll have doctor for one or two days. Mm-hmm. And we've said, mm, but by the time you've inducted them, done all the email admin, it's really not worth it for you for them to come for one or two days, yeah. probably. So we do try and guide. We do like ideally like two weeks. That's really specific to just some jobs, because again, even two weeks I mean if you're a teacher that's just impossible to have a new teacher coming in every two weeks so those placements are a lot longer it really depends on the partner their needs and the role and we try and just listen to the partner's needs and be as responsible as possible so again it's just going online and seeing the minimum time for each different project okay so actually you know it could be a commitment if you only had a week's holiday there is still potentially a a possibility for you to that get was definitely pre-covid yes you could work in the warehouse you could chop vegetables that was definitely it now there's covid and quarantining involved that is a bit more difficult but of course in the near future hopefully touchwood that will get a bit easier again but they are the kind of roles you're looking at it's like mm-hmm. uh, cooking food and because you don't really need too much of an induction to chop vegetables for example you're not having direct contact with refugees and uh, uh, necessarily so it, it those types of roles are are much easier to place for shorter term mm-hmm. 
it makes a lot of sense and you can just get kind of stuck in immediately and actually you know chop quite a lot of vegetables in a week exactly <laughs> Exactly. Or distribution clothing. And that's also a brilliant one. So working in the warehouse and then doing distributions, they are really fun roles. But even also with medical professionals, you can have a higher turnover of medical professionals because essentially that I, I worked in a medical clinic in, in Samos on a Friday and there was a quite a high turnover of, of staff there. But you're seeing a patient you're not building a, a longer term relationship with them. You're seeing them, you're triaging them, you're, you're trying to work out what they need and then you don't probably ever see them again. So we try and just use our common sense to do it as responsibly as possible. Makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you would want to say to people wanting to actually work in this space, in the humanitarian sector, and again, not knowing where to start? I mean, I know we mentioned volunteering is a really good place to start, but is there anything else? I would definitely say volunteer because that will, like I said, it will give you that experience to know whether you want to do this as a career Mm -hmm. because you might think it will be one way. Um, and oh, the travel on, oh, I love the stress and I love the pressure and I love this environment. And maybe you go out and that is exactly how it is and you you thrive in it. But also I've seen people really have their minds changed again, not too often, but it does happen. So just having that experience and it's just good to see that actually what size organisation do you want to get involved in? Do you want to work there with a smaller team, generally seeing more impact? Or do you want to work with a more supportive structure where you're more likely to be developed, have more security in your job. So there's so many pros and cons to working with smaller and bigger charities. And just going out and volunteering will give you a bit of a better understanding than just having to guess beforehand and just committing yourself for six, 12 months to a role and just getting out there and meeting people. Because I totally agree with you. It's not just learning about the sector and, you know, the sector might be different from what you had expected. It's also learning about yourself, right? And putting yourself in these situations and recognizing how you respond as a human. Like I thought potentially before I did this, that maybe I was more... I learned a lot about myself, basically, where my boundaries were that actually, you know, maybe I wasn't always as emotionally kind of ready to deal with things that they did impact me or affect me more than I had expected, for example. Um, And it might be the same for somebody coming into this sector to recognize, okay, you know, maybe that would be too much for me or that would affect me in a certain way and I'd be better off in a different role, for example. Holly... Your life and what you've achieved in the last seven, eight years is is a real inspiration to to many people. I know that you have a, a beautiful reputation of just being like this ray of sunshine. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share before we kind of finish up uh, that... Yeah, any, any words of wisdom? That's very kind of you to say. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing, I think, is to accept help and and know you're not going to do this by yourself like there's no way okay I had the idea for indigo and I've coordinated its growth in that's how I kind of see it but there's all the people around that have been instrumental to getting indigo to where it is today but you have to be open to accepting help which isn't always easy and to to constantly be open to learning I mean I'm not the best at that in my private life but professionally (laughs) I'm a bit better and always wanting to have feedback and actually actively asking for it and and I think that's uh, how you can survive because you're just 
not going to be taking offense to people giving you suggestions or ideas and you're actually taking them on with a good mindset and energy and thinking well hey this could work rather than having your ego bruised that you haven't come up with the idea that's the biggest thing I try and maintain obviously it's not always easy but I think it's just a really important thing to do I love that stepping into the role of the learner as well just to elaborate on that so I read something the other day that was the only label that we should actually ever resonate with is as the learner as the student mm-hmm. one other thing is and this is so cliche so I feel almost embarrassed saying it but you really just have one life and if you just have even remotely a similar feeling to what I had like this gut feeling like oh I need to be doing this instead just do it. I mean, I've had to make a lot of compromises. I had to move back home and and commute more and not live independently anymore. You know, all these things, you you have to make some compromises and sacrifices along the way, but it's so worth it if that's what you want to do. And I wouldn't change one thing about where I am today and how I've got here. So if you have the same feeling, don't put it off. Face it head on and, and address it and action it if that's what feels right. Yes. I could not agree with that more. Holly, I'm so happy that we actually have finally done this because you're actually the most requested guest that I've ever had on the podcast. (laughs) Multiple people through socials have said to me, I would really like to hear an episode with you two. And I think that your story will really resonate with a lot of people and a lot of people will relate to that feeling and those feelings that you had. I, honestly, thank you for having me as a guest. I cannot believe that I might be the most requested person. I find that absolutely mind-blowing because <laughs> you've had the most incredible guests and just wonderful, wonderful conversations with people. And thank you for keeping these conversations alive and going and sharing them. And it's honestly an honour to be on this podcast with you. Oh, well... Even though I think we've actually in real life met maybe once, I feel like I know you so well and that you've become a friend to me. That's one of the best things, or that is the best thing to have come out of this work is that those connections that you form with people and actually, you know, you don't need to necessarily be in the same country or in the same place that thank God for Zoom this last year and a half. Hey, I know it's so true. I, I honestly, there's people that I think I've met once and and, I, and I've said, oh, can me, my family and my donkey come live with you for a year? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. And vice versa. It's, it's just this strong connection you get with people. It's this community that has been built in this sector. It, I, I've never experienced anything like it. I've never heard anything like it. You have a shared vision, I guess, don't you, with a lot of people in a shared cause and world view. If you'd like to find out more about Indigo Volunteers, check out their website, indigovolunteers.org or their Instagram account, at indigovolunteers. I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode and what you'd like to hear more of in the rest of season five. I already have some amazing guests lined up, but I'm always open to suggestions and questions. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or hoodie or donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one Worldwide Tribe. Oh, 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 oh,
A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.